Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. And we are wrapping up our month of horror with what we like to term booking a second stay in horrible hotels. And that's kind of the running theme for the three movies. And one of the first things I decided to do was look into the concept of sequels when I was looking at these three films. A Fall of a Nation is a sequel to D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation. And oh, you're starting us off on a good foot with the, uh, <laughs> the Twitter crowd. Thank <laughs> well, you, Webb. <laughs> <laughs> Fall of a Nation was meant to capitalize on the success of that controversial film. Mm-hmm. And what's funny about it is it didn't make much money, and now it's ironically like lost uh, in, in the history of films. Okay. It's considered a lost film. Good. And it's actually not even a <laughs> it's actually not even a true sequel because it doesn't have a similar story and it, none of the same characters. And then I think you can also look at some of the early Danish Sherlock Holmes films from like 1907-1908, but the true first sequel that I looked at was Son of the Sheik in 1926, which was a sequel to The Sheik in 1921. And then you look at some of the films like the Bond films or the Pink Panther films in the 1960s. You can consider those sequels. With Bond, it's kind of up in the air because while there are certain, at least those early Bond films have, I think Spectre, is it? Is it? There's an organization that's like behind the uh Kind of runs through scenes. it, yeah. But then the 70s is where you really get to the sequels as we know them today because in 74, you get Godfather 2, 75, French Connection 2, 78, Jaws 2, even though that's not looked at as... Right on the same one. level as Godfather 2. Jaws 2. <laughs> yes, of course. And then Rocky 2 in 1979. And so these are the first sequels as we kind of know them today. And I do wonder if at that time, was Godfather considered a sacred cow that quickly after its release? I, I'm not sure. So I wonder if people were up in arms about Godfather 2 or were they excited for it? Because even at that time, I'm sure that directors weren't looking to do the Citizen Kane follow-up. I feel like that became a sacred cow by that time. It's an interesting question because you could look at it as um, maybe the first major sequel out of the gate um, where people insulted just by the very concept. Or because it was the first, <laughs> had we not had this deluge of crap sequels that people, <laughs> people weren't as concerned as you would be now for the, the cash grab. Which... I guess in this time period, people are not concerned anymore. Like we've, I remember as a, I guess, film going child of the nineties sequels were met with some suspicion and certainly, and you didn't go past three, three was, that's it. If you went to four, that was an act of desperation, but that's changed, hasn't <laughs> right. it now? Like there seems like if you've gotten to part four or five, you're a success. Like you, you've done something right. You've built out your universe. Um, so I don't know. We're we're in a weird uh, stage with it now. Um, I don't think any of the, any of the sequels we picked, uh, which all have the hotel theme, necessarily uh, had this sort of blasphemous look uh, coming at it. Because when we talked about Psycho Two at the start, I was surprised that it was a box office success. People were genuinely interested in Norman Bates, Devil's Rejects. Uh, you and I didn't, <laughs> and even the filmmakers were like, no, 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 this isn't a sequel exactly. But Doctor Sleep might be the one that had the most mixed reaction as far as its its announcement. Um, so I think we have a good mix as far as how people treated each of these. And Webb, for once, we actually did cross over into various decades. Like we have like sort of a very balanced trilogy, which I assure you will never happen again. <laughs> never again. <laughs> right. 
one of the things I will also say, and I feel bad about this, because we go back in time real briefly when you first contacted me about being a guest host on War Machine vs. War Horse for Creep Show. And one of the first things I did was like, well, I got to look this guy up and listen to some of his work. And so when I and I looked up because we were talking creep shows, I was like, let me look at some horror films that you guys have discussed. And the one that I, I looked at was a Human Centipede <laughs> episode that you guys did on uh, one, two, and three. Same as and Godfather felt... too, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt bad because you ultimately made your co-host watch <laughs> the Human Centipede. <laughs> And your co-host did his duty. He's, you know, you you picked a set of films and he watched them even though it was distressing. And I, for this wrap-up, wanted to go back and rewatch House of a Thousand Corpses. I even found myself a copy of it and I was like, I'm going to watch this. I just couldn't do it. And I feel like I've... I've I've fallen short of the standard set at your podcast, War Machine versus War Horse. But like, you I, also I knew do it because I didn't follow through on Human Centipede. I gave up on the franchise, <laughs> 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 you know, midway through the second one or something in that effect. Yet, still felt uh, I still felt confident enough to talk about the trilogy as a whole <laughs> and how much I hated it. Uh, I I felt the same way. Uh, I you know, there's no way in the back of your mind you had to know there's no way I was going to go back and watch Rob Zombie's earlier works get a better sense of The Devil's Reject. Certainly not after having seen The Devil's Reject that we talked about the third film. That's just not going to happen. Although a little behind the scenes for our listeners, they know how much we we like a deal, and it did. It kind of pained me to see that the I guess what what would we call, what is this trilogy called? House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Reject, and Three from the Hell. Firefly or something? Something like that. Uh, nonsense. Um, that was on sale, deeply discounted, after we recorded. But I guess I should take that as a blessing, because I probably would have been tempted to pull the trigger if I had not recorded on this yet. Um, so thank you, iTunes, for being late with that particular, particular sale. Yeah, a good deal will often... Um supersede my common sense <laughs> and 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 facts that i know is like well this is crap uh, i i spotted the underworld series recently on sale and i was like ooh, that's a good deal for five films even though like almost all of them are critically panned <laughs> so yeah it, it, I, I completely i'm right there with you completely side, agree. side question if you had to spend your hard-earned dollars on uh on something uh, do you go with the Underworld digital box set or the Resident Evil digital box set? Well, <laughs> because I already own the Resident Evil box set. You've made your I choice. I guess I would go Underworld. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I like Paul W.S. Anderson's work. Oh, I the, the real Paul do. Anderson, as you call him? <laughs> yes, exactly. I The first Resident Evil is still entertaining today as it was when it came out. Uh, I will say the second one is one of the worst films I've ever seen, if not the worst uh, I, I know that's a harsh statement, but every time I go back, whenever I want to do a Resident Evil marathon, which isn't often, but I stop dead in my tracks with two almost always and never get past it. Even three is not that good. But then the man uh, returns with uh, four and five and the rest of this. He goes, oh, <laughs> you just have to get through two and three. This this is not a podcast on the Resident Evil series, but I think it's a good look uh, into the psyche of my co-host that he will give 
these schlocky sequels a chance. Like <laughs> if they're in the hands of a true auteur, like Paul W.S. Anderson. <laughs> event Horizon, the man-made event Horizon. Okay, he, he gets a pass. He he's he's my Wozniak. He gets a pass for me forever. <laughs> Let's go back to Hitchcock because he, while he did remake his own films. He never did any sequels, even though he was alive for the concept of sequels. And while his daughter has said that, oh, he would have loved to do sequels, I don't know how convinced I am of that, but there you have it. I mean, I, I I can tell you that in my heart, I believe that Kubrick would never do a sequel to any of his film. And what's interesting about those two is that years have gone by before those sequels were made. Uh, to Psycho and to The Shining. With Devil's Reject, not so much. And that's the only one where you have uh, the same principal cast, same director, and only two or three years apart. And we'd reacted very differently to that one, even though it has the benefit of the same person behind the camera and same people in front of the camera. Is And so there's no guarantee of what's going to make... Uh, a sequel, a success because of it. Do you think that having the original filmmaker um, allows them more leeway to go a different direction? Because Devil's Rejects, like, instead of it being, from what I gather, uh, clearly our, our research team failed us, the research team being both voices you're hearing on this show. <laughs> yeah. uh, House of a Thousand Corpses is, uh, you know, set in. I assume one slaughterhouse, like this family home type thing with all a clown and all sorts of torture porn, blah, blah, blah. But he wanted to make like a road movie. He wanted to make like Badlands or something with those characters. Do you think because it was the same filmmaker coming off the first film, he felt like I can go a different direction. And maybe the filmmakers behind, you know, Psycho 2 and Dr. Sleep, they are beholden in some way. Uh, now also, the added element is they're making sequels to regarded classics, not House of a Thousand Corpses. But certainly, I think in Doctor Sleep, we discussed in that episode that Mike Flanagan is not only trying to honor the previous film, The Shining, but he's trying to honor a book written by a man who created this whole universe that hates Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. So he had a very difficult balancing act. But do you think the new voices tend to uh, stay closer to the original uh, film more so than like if, if Hitchcock had come back for psycho two, would it have been off the walls gone in a different direction? It's definitely a difficult task for the newcomers because the original creator gets a lot of leeway. Same with Hooper when he was making Texas Chainsaw two, like, well, I'm not going to redo the same thing I did that time. It doesn't make any sense to me to redo that and regurgitate the same experience. And so you get that leeway. Well, it's the original creator. He can kind of do what he wants because these are his toys. And with all three of these films, actually different circumstances, because while Psycho 2, the book was kind of in progress, I think the original idea was scrapped. And so they're coming at it with, all right, with Psycho 2, they wanted to continue a sequel, but they had to update the material for where the genre was at the time with yeah Flanagan he had to balance the book and the original movie and the original book to some regard so I can't quite make a determination I will say the newcomers have a more difficult time because I always give the pass to 
the uh, uh, the original creator because he can kind of do what he wants with it. And I I always give them free reign. But each three, all three of these films, very much uh, come at their sequels with a a very different perspective. So at, at least that's something that's interesting about all three of them, whether we like them or not. Let, let, let's talk about the setting of these three films. Like we we decided to find horror sequels that are primarily in one location or at the very least have the concept of a hotel. Do you have any specific uh, feelings towards hotels and being Mm. away from home? Like, are you a traveler? Well, not as much as I'd like being, you know, certainly (laughs) coming off of 2020. uh, That does feel like a foreign concept (laughs) uh, probably to most people. I like it. We have um, an episode on Up in the Air that uh, was at the start of of this year, and I've I do wonder if my personal feelings about travel contributes to my appreciation of it because I feel very comfortable in that. Uh, I guess that sort of middle state of like not quite at your destination, but you've already left home. Um, I think it makes some people very anxious. Um, my wife is a planner, and I'm not. Maybe that's why I'm allowed to be way more comfortable. Is I'm like, well, I've got my phone and my tablet, got some headphones. I guess I'm good. Like you know, whatever else you know, my clothes I assume are in bags. I, I don't know. Like I, I'm, uh, I am somewhat of a man child in that regard. But I, I feel like some serenity uh, almost like when you're just like waiting to get to your destination when you don't have to be anywhere else. Like it's like, okay, we've done everything. We're just waiting on our plane. And there's not often times in life where you can feel that settled. Even when you're at home, I don't think it's like I've done everything because there's always something to do around the house. So I find that very relaxing. I wouldn't like, I don't have like a bad, and maybe you do. I don't have like a, certainly nothing like in these films. I don't really have a bad hotel experience where it's like, oh, that was disturbing or disgusting or, or it wasn't what it said on the Airbnb, nothing like that. Like generally I just feel very comfortable because you have everything on your person that you packed and that's all you have to be responsible for. And you like come in and come out and I find it, you know, it's very probably like lame, uh, white people speak it's just like it's just very neat it's like i just get to imagine <laughs> for a day like what it would be like to live in this place in this town but it's like it's like renting that that experience uh, not so different from being like an avid movie watcher like you get to place yourself in a world uh, but you know that you're going to exit it pretty quickly so you don't have to feel any pressure about uh, uh making long-lasting connections i guess i'm also not single and on the prowl maybe if maybe if you're a single man (laughs) you know desperate for that connection or that that sort of anchor um maybe it would be very distressful but no i i i like to travel and i i don't really have any horror stories i have a feeling because i'm good friends with you (laughs) that you you kind of have um is it murphy's law it seems like your life has a certain element of that where <laughs> if something slightly can go wrong and no offense to you, you also have the temperament at times of a Costanza where you, <laughs> you <laughs> want to let the world know about your pain. I'm assuming you have some sort of bad travel experience. So I don't, I don't know what your take is on this. No, you know what? I, I'm going to subvert expectations here. I also like to travel uh, and I enjoy being in a hotel because it's incredibly freeing. I, while I do have that cons- 
Costanza mindset. At home, I grew up in a very kind of neat household where you couldn't eat on the bed. You couldn't eat like in front of the, the TV and in the living room. Like things had a proper place. So whenever I travel, all hell breaks loose and I can be free. I can order food and eat pizza on the bed because I know I won't have to clean it later. Also got no choice most of the time. The TV's right there. The bed's right there. We're all in this. It's all together exactly. in one little space. I mean, granted, we have iPads and iPhones and we TVs wherever now. We can watch whatever we want, wherever we want. <laughs> wait, so that's so wait, great. Are you someone that just turns on – like in a hotel, do you turn on the TV just to see what the offerings are before you go no. to the tablet? Because the last time I, I had to travel for, for work – uh, and that was, I think it was post vaccine, at least for me, cause I tried like hell to get it as early as I could this year. Um, but it was still early enough to where traveling, it was, it was weird. Like I, I was in a hotel when I pulled in the parking lot, it was me and one other car. That one other car was the person working the, the lobby of the hotel. And there was like no cleaning staff because there was, there's no fucking guests. Um, that was a little unnerving. And I realized during my entire time, I never turned the TV on once just the ipad so well also the concept of commercials are abhorrent to me now oh yeah you're... unless i'm watching like a live sporting event you're a guy that hates the hulu with ads package or peacock with ads you just you know you're getting older web being used to restroom multiple times like i do like it's, it's another piss break <laughs> <laughs> well see and, and i bring this up because i figured you have a general positive attitude towards traveling and being maybe in a hotel and i surprisingly enough as do as well and so one of the things that I think horror films like to do is take something that is pleasant and make them unpleasant to put people on the edge of their seat. So all three of these films take the concept of a hotel and turn it on its head and make them something horrifying on different levels. I think Psycho does a very good job, obviously, and so does, and so does Psycho too, because then it kind of uh, puts the house up on a pedestal and it, it, you a mythology is created. With The Shining, Overlook Hotel, like it already was in legendary status at the end of the first film. And I think the way Dr. Sleep ends is just a giant love letter to the uh, the first film and to that hotel. <sighs> now with Devil's Rejects, <laughs> <Yeah>. we... <laughs> Let me just interrupt because I know it's going to go negative. It's going to go negative fast. <laughs> On the Psycho versus Dr. Sleep hotel angle, do you prefer, like, with Psycho 2, there's actually not much business in the hotel. Like, poor <laughs> Dennis Franz, uh, you know, loses his job because he's just trying to run, you know, a little vice activity on the side. He's, he's just trying to make sure the base motel is in the black. <laughs> you know, he's, he's going to make sure that highway did not affect them at all. Um but they, you know, you, you mentioned the sort of mythic status, at least cinematically speaking, of the Bates Motel and the Overlook. With Psycho 2, they bring you inside to the Bates Motel pretty early. And then you're like, oh, let's go up. Oh, this is no good for our characters. And it's almost like this is no good for our audience. We want to go back to where Norman and his mother live. And we're going to spend most That's of the time a good there. Point. Whereas Dr. Sleep. They do keep the Overlook as this mythic thing, and they hold it off to the end. Now, the marketing, I think, leaned pretty heavily on it and the trailers and such for Dr. Sleep. But it's at the very end, and it's this thing where it's going to be exactly as you remember, uh, and the character smartly, because of that, 
and they don't fuck with it. Whereas the Psycho 2 character's like, let me turn over this rock. Let's go talk to Norman and impersonate his mother on the phone. Like, they have different aims as far as how they're... And I could see the reaction of Psycho 2 is maybe sort of like cutting off the Bates Motel and the Bates home at the knees. It's almost like trying to uh, demystify it in a way, whereas the Dr. Sleep is the overlook is spoken of with reverence in a negative way. Like it is this quest object. It's to be respected. Uh, and then with, with devil's rejects, we spend, uh, because it, it does aim to be that road movie and, and there is travel absolutely involved. The hotel or, or the motel that's used in the film is meant for, again, horrible things. And we don't stay in there as often as I guess, well, probably as often as the other two films, to be honest with you. But it is used as, once again, a place of violence and a place of uh, to to generate fear. I it, it, and and the location, while it's not mythologized, I guess it's uh, you know um, it doesn't leave enough of an impact as that as a location, at least. Like when you leave the Devil's Rejects, you don't talk about the place the Bates Motel the the Overlook it's just oh yeah there's a motel in that film and I feel bad that the, the film does, doesn't have anything to lean on outside of the characters I guess and that's another thing why it, it didn't stay with me I mean there's a I, I suppose a life lesson to learn which if you're a part of the the Rob Zombies demo maybe maybe there's something need to uh, to understand I feel like with even a modest amount of life experience, I would know if I'm getting ice and this crazy white trash blonde is like basically like salivating over me, just getting like a bucket of ice. Uh, just understand you're about to be stabbed or have a gun pointed in your face. Like no, pretty quickly, like start looking around your surroundings and also like remove yourself from, from her, uh, her immediate area. That's, that's about it. Like, you know, you bring up the jaws effect, like psycho, you know, Psycho did for showers, and then Jaws does that for the ocean. And those are two, I'm pretty sure those two films almost primarily are being used when uh, sort of a lazy critic says, this new horror film does the same thing for showers in the ocean, dot, 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 whatever they're talking about. But you're right, Devil's Rejects doesn't really, it doesn't really even have like a great, horrific set piece of any sort um it's weird that and i know it was on a much smaller budget certainly than dr sleep and probably more so you know even than psycho for its time but it do, it does feel very rushed like it's just like <laughs> i said it in that episode it's sort of like a kevin smith horror movie where it's like let's just get jay and bob together and then move to the left move to the right and whatever we have in the background is an entirely new section of the, of the film <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair to devil's rejects we're not revisiting the exact same house as we are in the other two now that's over with sequels, pretty quickly so. it's the credit sequence right or pre-credit sequence like the i guess the uh law enforcement the sort of raid on the house and then then we're off on the road again yeah and you oh my god you I mean you make a really great point i completely because so much of that movie i'm trying to like stash away into a box like danny <laughs> I, I completely forgot about that opening scene you're right there that the house is there it does make an appearance but yeah it, it ultimately does not factor into much of the film it's 
It's almost as if a zombie is saying, all right, let's get away from the original and move on to this other kind of film. So, uh, you know, to each his own, it has its following. All, all three of these, I feel, are, have their following. We're not so sure about Dr. Sleep just yet because I, I put this movie on a big pedestal for anybody who I talked to. I was like, have you seen The Shining? And most people are like, yeah, I remember. I've seen The Shining a long time ago. I was like, you got to watch Dr. Sleep because... I feel like most people have not seen Dr. Sleep. And I genuinely think that it is a modern-day masterpiece. I really do. And so much so, as we discussed in the episode, I decided. I was like, you know what? I think my wife might actually enjoy uh, The Shining and Dr. Sleep. And I did. I I put her through the ringer. So I was like, I think you'll enjoy uh, these films. And she liked Shining enough. She's like, okay. And then she liked Dr. Sleep as well. She found them to be very classically horror. She's like, they ha- they weren't grotesque. Like, <laughs> we were at the Alamo Draft House, uh, and I think we were, we watched Zombieland in the Alamo Draft House. And it was, uh, it was one of those like, oh, five years later type thing. And she had never seen it. And I was like, I think you might like it. And she loved Zombieland. And they had old grindhouse trailers leading up to the film and one of the films was dr butcher md and you know it's grotesque stuff and she's like when she saw that i was like i don't want to watch this movie i was like don't worry zombie land's not going to be like dr butcher md not quite (laughs) (laughs) yeah but she's like for whatever reason that became the barometer of horror films for her and she's like well it wasn't gross like dr butcher md it was like classically horror and i was like oh Okay, I like the way that you phrased that. So uh, I'm very happy to say my wife enjoyed uh, both The Shining and Doctor Sleep. So uh, I, I I hope that it finds its audience and it's looked on as a great Stephen King adaptation and something that that more people appreciate when they learn the history because it absolutely had a, a tall task and and it's Stephen King approved. Well, you started this conversation. You know, you set the bar pretty high with Godfather too. Uh, I would say that uh, Dr. Sleep reminds me the most of something like Godfather 2, where we have a particular story we want to tell with with these characters, and we understand that we're coming off of a classic. Now, the main difference is it's not like two years later. It's not an immediate sequel, so there's it's actually more difficult. You've allowed even more time to build up for people to be like, really? A Shining sequel? That's what we're doing now? We're going to mine that IP as well? But it's an old-fashioned sequel in that there's one story to tell, and I guess you could do a third part, but it doesn't feel like it's designed as the middle chapter for a trilogy. Uh, oftentimes you see now, if you get a part two, the expectation is there's got to be a third. Um, even with Dune, they got released. They just they did half the story, and <laughs> I, I admired the, um, I guess, the honesty. I'm not in the marketing at all, because anyone who clicked on it on HBO or went and bought a ticket, they're just going to Dune, but if you're watching it, it comes up the title card, Dune, part one. (laughs) And if if I didn't know that and they cut my 12 bucks of theater, I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) I did not sign up for this. But um, I think something like Dr. Sleep and maybe Dune part two is, uh, at the very least, they're just telling the story uh, as far as here's what's to be told and we're not going to try to chop it up to extend it out to a part three. We're not going to Peter Jackson it up just to get more of your money over the holiday season. So I do appreciate that a lot about Dr. Sleep that, and it's fucking awesome too. I did have a question uh, that I think could possibly go against Dr. Sleep because of how we've talked about the hotels. 
if you were forced, Webb, to take a vacation to where you had to spend time in any of these hotels, which one would you be willing to to spend the night in? If you say if you say Overlook, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna admire the the nutsack on yourself to be like I love Doctor Sleep so much that I'd spend a night with that really obnoxious bartender that's not Jack Nicholson but kind of is. I I, I think I'm gonna go with Devil's Rejects only because I <laughs> I might I might miss the individuals who are living there. Like if I because they're only there for a limited amount of time, I might just miss them. So chances of having a somewhat normal, uh, not the most exotic locale, um, probably no Wi-Fi uh, provided at all. Uh, I understand it's you're going from a more pr- practical survival standpoint. I myself am going to Bates Motel, whether it's Dennis Franz running it or it's Norman Bates himself. I figure as long as I'm not a come hither young lady, I'm also good, Webb. That is fair. And it's not like we're spending the day, or excuse me, the night in Norman's house. We're in the motel. Yeah, I'm not we're, doing that. Yeah. Worst case scenario, you know, he's he's peeping and, and, and uh, um, playing with himself as you take a shower. <laughs> Worst case scenario, you're only mildly violated. <laughs> I'm going to change my vote on that. I'll go, You know what? I'll go Devil's Rejects. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. This is uh, Jerry over there on the phone. That's Jerry, and you are uh... Lupe. Lupe, that's very nice, very nice. Listen, are you going to be making up the bed in the morning? Oh yes. Fine, excellent. Could you do me a favor? <laughs> Could you not tuck the blankets in? Because I can't sleep all tucked in. Oh yes, yes, yes. yes. I like to just be able to take the blankets and swish them and swirl them. You know what I mean? You know, I, I don't like them all tucked. <laughs> yeah, I, just don't. I like to have a lot of room. You know, I like to have my toes pointed up in the air. <laughs> I just like to scrunch up the blankets. <laughs> yes, yes. It's too tight to sleep. In. Exactly. You know what I'm talking oh, about, right? Oh, yes. It's too tight. Um, him too? Oh, uh, Jerry, you want your blankets tucked in? Excuse me. What? You want your blankets tucked in? What blankets? When Lupe makes up the beds in the morning. I don't know. Whatever they do. I tuck in? Yes? Tuck in, tuck in. <laughs> All right, so that's one tuck and one no tuck. Okay. Yes. One second, sweetheart. Jerry, I really think it'd be easier if you didn't tuck. Excuse me. Fine. You don't want me to tuck? Put me down for a no tuck. That's two no tucks. Uh, hang on a second. You know what? Change my mind. Make it a tuck. You just said you weren't tucking. I'm tucking. <laughs> Hello? Hello? They hung up on me. Alrighty, so that's one tuck 
and one no-tuck. 